Well, I thought it'd be good to smile before we uh, look and uh, get serious a little bit, but this is our first Sunday, and uh, in praying uh, as far as what, uh, you know, there's something about the first Sunday that kind of you want to set the tone, and I'm not, um, I guess through the years I've kind of changed, I'm not really into a lot of what I would call vision hype. Here's 18 things we're going to do in the year, and we might do two of them, and and we get all jazzed up, and, you know, we can do all that. And some of you know all about that. And there's nothing wrong with You need vision. But behind everything, you've got to know what God wants you, this church, to do. And the only way you can know that is you've got to talk to Him. You've got to listen. You've got to pray. And, uh, you know, this is not to put anybody on a guilt trip. But don't let that be some excuse to say, oh, well, I'm not going to engage because I don't want to be on a guilt trip. No, you need to be motivated. I need to be motivated. So really, all we're going to do is you're going to listen in on me talking to myself. Okay? So if you just want to, you're just listening to me preach to myself because everything that I will say is for me and hopefully maybe for a few out here that... As we embark on a new year individually and as a church, uh, I don't think I'd be too far stretching it to say that we need to be a people, I need to be a people, (laughs) I need to be a peep, uh, that prays, prays more, prays more in, in, in not just the activity of prayer, okay, I did my 10 minutes, and I did my Bible reading, and I checked it off. I don't know what I read, but I read through Leviticus 5 because that was what was today. I have no idea what it says, and I'm going through the motions. As Jim was saying earlier, that's not what this church, uh, that's not the heartbeat of this church. But if we are going to be serious, and I believe there are some folks here that are serious about their walk with the Lord, uh, that we must be refocused in a life priority of praying, of praying. And it isn't just creating more things on the church schedule to pray. You know, we can do that and have a false impression, oh, we're a praying church because we have all these times. But there, you know, you obviously have to do something if you're going to pray together. But praying together should only be uh, a byproduct of a fruit, just like worship, of what you're doing By yourself. What are you doing by yourself? You know, the Bible talks about um, praying long prayers in private and short prayers in public. And sometimes when we get together in prayer groups, it's kind of like cramming for finals, catch up. You know, we want to kind of make up for all the weeks and months that we haven't been talking to God. And I believe that God likes it when we talk to him. I'm under that feeling that he just likes it when we want to spend time with him. Don't you like it when somebody in your life and they just want to spend time with you? They don't want anything from you? They just, why did you call? Well, hey, I just wanted to let you know, hey, I was thinking about you and I love you and just giving God thanks for your life. That's good. Instead of you're calling and you know that every time they call, there's always kind of, hey, and by the way, can you do X, Y, Z? Can you send me a little money or whatever? 
God likes it when his people that he has saved, as we have uh, talked about uh, this morning, that he has given his life for, wants to engage and have fellowship. When God created human beings in Genesis, you know, he did not create them because he was lonely. There is no need in God. God doesn't need anything. You've never, ever informed God of anything. God has never learned anything. Right? He, he's all, he knows, he, he's all-knowing. But God created us, and one of the things that is significant when you read that before these, our first parents, human beings, Adam and Eve, before what we call they fell into sin, they didn't like necessarily trip, but like the commercial, I've fallen and I can't get up, which is a great line for preaching about the depravity of man. But anyway, it isn't that they fell and stumbled and fell off a cliff. It just means that they went down, they digressed, they, they rebelled. God created these two human beings... And the Bible is clear that they conversed and had fellowship with their Creator without any barriers. There wasn't any obstacles. There wasn't any, any hindrances that the Bible uses. It says that He walked with them in the cool of the day in Genesis. There was a, the picture there that there was, a, there was a relationship. There was an intimacy. There was not any... Uh, there wasn't anything to, to separate them the way that sin does, the way that when, our, when we're disobedient and when we're not walking in the light. That is something that really, to, why would God want to talk to me? Why would God want to save me? Why would God want to save you? You know, sometimes we say, well, I don't understand why God doesn't save everybody. The issue is, why would God save me? Why would he save anybody? When you get an understanding of the holiness of God. And so as we talk about prayer, uh, we, uh, I may not get through the whole message, and that's the good thing about letting me come back next week, is rather than belaboring and just, you know, when there's, when there's those two more tacos on the plate and you're already full, you're just like, man, I'm going to eat those things, and then 11 o'clock at night, you're just like, why didn't I just have some leftovers. Well, we might have a few leftovers and finish it next week. We'll just see how it goes. But I don't want, this isn't just to get a sermon out. You hear what I'm saying? This isn't just to run through the motions and got the sermon, now we can go for next week. I really want us to be motivated through God's Word. And we may just, I may just we may talk about prayer. I, I, I really hadn't planned any more than just today, but we may spend some more time in talking about prayer, looking at some prayers, because the end goal is for you to be renewed in treasuring God. It isn't just to have a big prayer meeting tonight. I almost would rather not have a meeting tonight so you don't think there's, that you're motivated and you come out of guilt. Well, you preach on prayer and I get, you know... I really want to watch the game. I want to see what's on 60 Minutes. Uh, if that, just stay home, okay? It's okay. Okay? It's all right. Relax. Enjoy life, all right? But be motivated because you desire to, 
to to you just you want to treasure you want to you want to be you want to know God more than you knew him in 2015 I know we know him but do I know him am I am I acquainted with his ways you know how those when you're married you just you kind of know you've crossed some magical barrier in the relationship when you can finish each other's sentences or you say, well, I just know what they're going to... I just know before it comes out of their mouth, I know what's going to be... Well, I almost wonder if that's kind of a little clue of how we're doing in our intimacy with the Lord. That as we pray, we, we finish His sentences because we're so acquainted with Him. That's, that's kind of what uh, we'll stumble around here this morning and... And look at priority of prayer. Let me just, I'm going to read you a few quotes here and then we're going to look at uh, really just, I won't have you stand, but I want to read uh, from Mark. Someone who wrote this, uh, author uh, Raymond Culpepper wrote this. He said, Prayer is the rhythmic and perpetual heartbeat of the body of Christ. It sustains and energizes the church, providing fervency for worship, strength and energy for serving, and motivation for action. Listen to this last statement. It is an indispensable lifeline to the resources of heaven. The resources of heaven are at our disposal. Prayer is the God-ordained means, mechanism, that a sovereign God who knows everything, controls everything, has ordained prayer. J. Vernon McGee, who some of you know from the radio, says this, Prayer should be the vital breath of the church, but right now it is gasping for air. And so this morning, you can just remain seated. I want to encourage you to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 11. And I'm going to read verses 15 through 18, but we're going to just verse 17. It won't be a normal message the way I do, you know, where we're taking apart a passage or whatever. This is more thematic. But let me just read and and, uh, we'll start in Mark chapter 11. And I'm going to begin reading at verse 15. You can remain seated. And I'm reading from the ESV, English Standard Version. The Bible says in verse 15, it kind of we're picking up kind of in the middle of Jesus coming into Jerusalem. And they came to Jerusalem, Jesus and his disciples, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. That was some of the more, uh, for the sacrifices, the more pigeons, the the poor. That it It was really a very financially lucrative operation of what was going on there. They had set up, if you know anything about the temple, there is the court of the Gentiles. And basically what they had set up was a, a kind of a big flea market. You know, if you've ever been to the flea markets around here, you're not just going to imagine. And 
the corrupt religious system kind of sold what we might would call franchises to people to have their booths to sell stuff. And what they were selling was, especially around the high feast days, they were selling various uh, animals and things because people would travel uh, from miles and many times instead of having to bring a sacrifice to offer, they just say, you know what, we're going to just buy it there. And so there was this lucrative system there, and everybody had a kickback. So the religious leaders that operated the religious life of Israel that ruled in the temple, they had to kick up to Herod and, and the authorities above them. And so they had to squeeze these booth owners uh, and get a partial amount of the the funds to them, and so the ones that were selling all the trinkets or sacrifices or animals or whatever was involved, they were, they were extorting people, and it was just a big money system that was bilking the people all in the context of an environment that was supposed to be a place of worship. This is not a verse that has anything to do with somebody wanting to sell books at the back of the church. Now, some of you look at me like a deer in the headlights. I've been in churches where, oh no, we can't sell anything because of that. That has nothing to do with this at all. This was a corrupt system that, that illustrated the departure of God's people. Here they were in the court of the Gentiles, a place that we might would say could was intended to show God's love for not just Jews, but non-Jews. And it was a place that Gentiles were allowed in without going into the interior of the temple, that they were allowed to gather as God-fearers of this Jehovah and at least engage. But they couldn't do that. Why? Because there was this circus flea market going on there, And Jesus, the God-man, enters into this environment. And what does he do? He began to overturn the tables of the money changers. Not necessarily a way to win friends and influence people, right? Jesus, can't you just tone it down, right? You just always have to take things so seriously. Look at what happens. Verse 16, And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. That kind of makes me think that here he was, a son of a carpenter, was not some emaciated figure we see on a lot of religious art. I think he was a strong guy. If he was building furniture without power tools, right, and making, I, I think he was a very physical man. I mean, if he was of that where he could prevent people from coming through the temple, not even also his own spiritual authority that you can't discount, but he wouldn't allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. Verse 17, and he was teaching them. It wasn't just because he was in a bad mood. You might come in after a long day's work and you're slamming stuff on the table, your dog get out of the way. I mean, you're just, because somebody, you just had a bad day. Jesus never had a bad day. 
I suppose Calvary was a bad day. And I'm not trying to be funny, but I mean, he was not a moody person. He had perfect emotions that were in full control of the Spirit of God. But he was angry. There was a righteous anger that was being exhibited there. And it says, verse 17, And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house, quoting from Isaiah, My house shall be called a what? House of prayer for all the nations. And the chief priests and the scribes who had a stake in this little, this little uh, financial scheme, they heard it. And they were seeking a way to destroy him. For they feared him. Because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. So this morning, I just want us to use that verse 17 of that my uh, house shall be called a house of prayer. I understand that we are not limited to temples, and sometimes I will, I don't like calling this room a sanctuary. We are a sanctuary. This is an auditorium to keep the rain off our heads. There's nothing sacred other than respect of the property that God's people invest, you know. But there's nothing sacred. You know, if you curse in the hallway, you're welcome to curse in here. There's no difference. I don't want you cursing, but in other words, you're like, well, let's go out here and I can gossip. Oh, let's come in here and it's kind of like my mother, you know, you can't go to movies on Sunday, but you can do whatever. You can live like hell the rest of the week. But, oh, no, not on Sunday. You know, as a kid, I'm like, eh, a little inconsistency there. This is not a sanctuary. Lord created me to be a sanctuary. I'm a, I'm a habitation of the Spirit of God. Where I go, the Spirit of the Lord goes. Right? You get that. But... Just to use that in the sense of as a body, a house of prayer. I want to look at this question, why pray, and consider seven answers to this one question. And if we don't get through all seven, we'll just stop and we'll pick it back up next week. Is that okay? Or would you rather stay till noon? Huh? Any votes? Any, any, anybody feel like you got your... I mean, we'll take a second offering if you want to feel like you get your money's worth today, all right? So we have no problem with that, but is that okay? We can just do that? Let me give you seven answers, that, again, seven answers and observations through Scripture that um, I think will help us, certainly are not exhaustive. And if you uh, are a note taker, use the back of your bulletin. That's the reason it's blank there um, for you to utilize that and engage in Scripture, engage in the Word of the Lord. If you want to go into 2016 and say, you know what, I want to know God more, and I want to know His Word more, get engaged in, in His book. And this is, this is one way to do that, all right? So number one, seven answers to the question, why pray? I'll just give, a, give us an answer or an observation with a principle. Number one is, why do we need to pray? Is because of vision, vision. There can be no unified vision without prayer. There can be no 
as a church body I'm talking about, there can be no unified vision without prayer. We can have what we might call unity, but we don't operate as a unit. My observation, you can disagree with me. I've been here a little over a year. Grace Church has functioned in a lot of unity, but it hasn't always functioned as a unit. My observation. It sometimes has functioned as a lot of independent contractors working. Prayer helps us, to use the phrase, get on the same page of what God wants to do. We are stronger together than being divided over all the things that we may feel are important. There may be a lot of things. There's a lot of things that the elders hear and consider But the the question is, is that what God wants us to do? Just recently, there was presented an opportunity that from the the observation would have seemed like, oh, that's a good opportunity. That's a good opportunity. That's a, boy, that that would really be a great thing. And, you know, and my mind gets going. But But I've learned to say, you know what, let me pray about it. And the more I prayed about it, the more I thought about it, I never could arrive at any sense of peace. It was a good idea, but it wasn't, I believe, God's idea for us now in this season. So I had to tell this individual, I just, I don't believe this is what we should do. And sometimes you run the risk when you do that of, you know, hurt feelings. But I'd rather have hurt feelings than to be off in la-la land of doing something that God never said for us to do. Vision, prayer. When we talk about prayer, vision comes from God, and God operates and talks to us through prayer. He's ordained that. Prayer is an encounter with God in which He engages us. Prayer is not about us talking to Him. That's part of it. But it's Him talking to us. It's Him listening to us. We think often that prayer is me going down this laundry list and just by me saying it, that I've prayed. No, you've just recited a list of stuff, but have you spent any time listening and being open to what God wants to say? Vision. We need vision. Um, Someone said that the church goes forward on its knees. I like that. I won't have you look at these. You're familiar with them or make note of them. In Acts chapter 1, before the outpouring of the Spirit in Acts chapter 2, the Bible says that when they were in this upper room, it says, and they were looking to replace Judas. Remember Judas had an early retirement from the apostolic uh, job. And they sought to replace Judas and sought the Lord. And it was determined that Matthias, who was one of the uh, followers who had been with Jesus, that's, that's what I'm going to read here. But it says before they did all that, it says they prayed. And this is what they said. Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two men you have chosen to take over the apostolic ministry which Judas left. They prayed. God, what do you want? What do you want? 
Do you think there's anything in your life that God doesn't care about? Think about that. Do you think, is there anything in your life that you think God really doesn't care about and he's really not interested in you? You know, you just kind of, I'll worry about the big stuff and you just kind of go over here. The Bible says that God is mindful of when a sparrow falls to the ground. Jesus said there's not one jot or tittle. We would say there's not a comma or a period in the word of God that is not sacred by God. God is a God of the details. He's concerned about every aspect of your life. That means you going into debt to buy something should ask God, is this what you want? Is this the door you've opened? Oh, it's a good deal. Interest rate is da-da-da. You ever done something crazy and said, God, I don't want to go into debt. That's just going to rob more money that I can invest in to the kingdom. What, what would you have me to do? You know we need this, we need that. He says he knows all your needs before you even ask. But you don't ask. We don't ask. Pray, pray. God, what is your vision? In Acts chapter 6, when there was strife in the early church, remember there was that strife between the Gentile widows that were not getting their allotment of food as a benevolence ministry, and they appointed the first deacons. And the Bible says they did that in order that the apostles could spend more time praying and Studying the word of the Lord. They sought prayer as the correctional strategy. In Acts chapter 13, when believers were gathered for prayer in the Antioch church, it was in the prayer meeting that the Holy Spirit spoke and said, send Paul and Barnabas. God did that. God spoke because they position themselves to hear from God. You've probably heard me use this illustration before, but you know the story of Zacchaeus? Especially if you're in children's church. Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man. Now, some of you haven't been in church in years. You're like, what in the world are they doing to our children? Okay, Zacchaeus in the Gospels apparently uh, was, as we would say in PC terms, he was height-challenged. So what did he do? Climbed a tree. Why did he want to climb a tree? Because Jesus was coming, and you know what? He wanted to position himself in the path of Jesus. When you and I pray, you know what we do? We position ourselves to encounter Jesus. When we don't, don't expect God to talk to you. If you're not interested in talking to Him. If you have not deliberately positioned yourself. When we pray, when we set that time and say, God, I want to hear you. I want you to speak into my life. I I need answers to these things that are troubling me. Ask, seek, knock. It will be opened. Those are principles that God wants us to utilize to get a vision If we don't have a vision individually of who God is, how in the world as a church can we ever get a vision? 
What is the vision for Grace Church? Well, it's only going to be, it's only going to be discernible by prayer. We can't engage in ministry and pray for God's blessing on it. Let me say that again. We can't engage in ministry and say, okay, God bless what we're doing. Prayer is the ministry from which everything else flows. It isn't that we do all this stuff and say, okay, we're going to pray. No, prayer is the ministry. And whatever we do as a body flows out of the direction that God leads us. Okay? Vision, number one. Secondly, worship. Worship. Why pray? Worship can't be transformational without prayer. We talk a lot about transformational grace. We have a two-week study. We're going to start Wednesday on transformational living. It's a kind of a general overview of the much more detailed study that, that is involved there. But worship is meant to be transformational. I am changed in the presence of God. You say, well, give me an example of that. Thank you. I'm glad you asked. Isaiah chapter 6. One of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. You know the story? In the year that King Uzziah died... Isaiah says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And surrounding his throne were angelic beings crying day and night, holy, holy, holy. Three times. You don't see anything referred to God as love, love, love. Grace, grace, grace. Mercy, mercy, mercy. Wrath, wrath, wrath. In biblical language, anytime something is repeated is a demarcation of linguistic significance. Means it's a big deal. You know, newspapers. You ever look at some of the way newspapers used to be published and they would have a headline, bold print above the fold. So it was put in the machines. That's what you saw. That was the big story. A lady's cat dying on Elm Street didn't get that spot. When it says holy, 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 that's God saying neon lights, bold print, that is is given to arrest our attention on the fact of the holiness of God. Remember when Jesus would say, the King James, verily, verily, or truly, truly? It was the same thing. A double emphasis. Here's a triple emphasis. And they, those beings were crying day and night, holy, holy, holy. But we're talking about worship being transformational. That as Isaiah, what was his first, as he encountered the holiness of God, what was his response? He said, whoa. Am I a man of unclean lips? I don't think that means that he cussed. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
as he encountered this God, this holy God, he said, I am undone. The Hebrew, one of the ways that that word in the Hebrew could read, those of you who fish or if you're like me, you have a rod and reel and you think you fish, but you've never really... And it unravels. You ever remember like those, those older rod and reel? You know, they just come all undone. Dave, you ever have... And you know what? If you're like me, just rip the whole thing off and put a new one on there. Don't, you know, you try to... Unta- That's the way the language is. When he says, I'm undone, it means that I am unraveled. At my encounter in this holy, with this holy God. But what happens? This God brings forth a coal, a live hot coal from the throne. One of the angelic beings bring it down with tongues. See, they're speaking in tongues in the Old Testament. All right, some of you needed to smile. You were getting too heavy on me, all right? Tongues. (laughs) And touched his, what? Lips. And he was transformed. And what was his response? Send me. See, we want to say, send me to relieve this guilt. Kind of like, you know, you know I want to do stuff to relieve my, my guilt. No. We are transformed in worship by encountering God. That doesn't have anything to do with worship styles. That doesn't have anything to do with the, the music, whether it's acoustic or it's band. Or If we're not encountering God, we're just, we're just like Casey Kasem's top 40 every week. That's a generational thing too, by the way. <laughs> Before MTV. <laughs> you hear what I'm saying? You, you, you get what? We're just, we're just singing the top hits every week. Oh, I love that. It's Chris Tomlin's song. I hear that on joy, and we feel good or whatever. Well, we do not leave transformed. We're not changed. Why? Because we are not encountering God in any significant way, or I just say in any way. I'm afraid many that walk through these doors, the only time you actually ever contemplate God is when you come in here on a Sunday. He is irrelevant to your life. Worship, worship that is not transformational becomes mere entertainment if it is not motivated from an intimate life and relationship that is gathered in prayer, garnered in prayer. Until we take the emotional highs of our worship into our prayer closets, we will keep coming back to worship as the same people who are powerless to live lives of purity and holiness. See, the reason we struggle with sin and temptation is because we are not drawing from the resources of heaven that God has given to us. You can't be a person of prayer and give lip service and worship. Remember what Jesus said, quoting from the Old Testament, but relating it to the people of his day, where he says, 
This people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far, far from me. I believe that God is not so much disappointed with us when we fail to pray as, as he is disappointed as he is disappointed for us because he knows what we are struggling with and yet he's disappointed for us because we do not avail ourselves of the treasures of heaven only in prayer can we be changed into his likeness we're talking about worship Worship can't be transformational without prayer. Listen to this. I'm going to do one more and we'll, we'll stop. The goal of prayer, the goal of prayer, I've alluded to this, but I just want to read it again. The goal of prayer is intimacy with God himself. The goal of prayer is God. Not the acquisition of things, stuff. The rewards of praying are greater than the answers to prayer. That's why when you receive a sense of revelation of the nature and character of God, when you pray, you might be like the prophet Habakkuk. He had some questions of, if you read the prophet Habakkuk, he had some questions of, God, why are you doing this? He had two big questions. God, how is it that you allow the evil to run so rampant among your people? And God answered him. He says, well, I'm glad you asked. Because I'm preparing the Assyrians. There was two big enemies of Israel, Assyria and Babylon. And it says that I'm preparing this enemy, these, these pagan, godless people. And I'm going to use them to exert wrath and judgment upon my people. Essentially, that's what God says. And Habakkuk says, but God, how could you who are so holy do such a thing? And just like Job, you know what happens? God doesn't answer his question. You know what God does? He pulls back the layers and Habakkuk, just like Job, get a greater picture of who God is. And at the end of it all, they basically said, who am I? God, you, you can do all things. They didn't get their answers to their questions. How does that happen? Only through a revelation of the character of God. Revelation means revealed, opening. The book of Revelation is a revealing. It's an unpacking. We struggle and trip and fall and just kind of Survival mode. Instead of saying, God, like Isaiah, like John in the book of Revelation, give me a revealing of who you are. Let me look fully into your wonderful face and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim. John Bunyan, the old Puritan who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, said prayer, listen to this, prayer will make a man or woman cease from sin or sin will entice a man or woman to cease from prayer. The reason often you don't pray 
is because your life is not in conformity to God. Let me give you one more. We'll talk about money, and that'll change your mood real quick. Why pray? Last, last one for today. We need to pray because of stewardship. There will never be enough resources. There will never be enough money in your life or this church without prayer. Long before there's a money problem in a family or in a church, there's a prayer problem. As individuals, individual believers, and as a church body, we are part of a spiritual enterprise, not an American entrepreneurship. Okay? We're getting ready to look at the new budget for 2016. Here's a preview of coming attractions. We didn't make budget last year. We didn't. Didn't really come close. Do we have a money problem? Yeah, but you know what? More than that, I think it's a spiritual issue, and it starts with me at the top of the list. Do we need to pray for more money? No. We need to pray and say, God, give us a vision of you. And God, we know that every resource we need to accomplish your purpose and your will through this body, there's no shortage. There's no lack. But you see, the stewardship of a church really is only reflective of our individual stewardship before the Lord. That's all it is. Every financial decision is spiritual in nature. And we need to pray. The condition of the church, final statement, the condition of the church is more accurately gauged by its time of committed to prayer, corporately and individually, than its monthly financial statement. All that monthly financial statement is, is a reflection of a spiritual problem. I will never get up here and manipulate and jazz things up to, you're you're smart enough to know that you're not going to be motivated out of guilt. I'm not going to be motivated out of guilt. But I want to be motivated by the Holy Spirit. I want to be motivated by the Holy Spirit. How do do I do that? How do I get that? I need to pray. I need to pray. I need to hear God. To say, you know what? You're spending a lot of money on these subscriptions and these memberships and this, that, and the other. And wouldn't that be better stewardship moved in this direction? Only the Holy Spirit can guide you to do that. Because you know what? What somebody talks you into whether it's a preacher or whoever, salesman, whoever, whatever somebody talks you into, somebody will come along and talk you out of it. But when you're motivated, some of you have made drastic changes in your life, significant life changes. And I don't mean just quit eating bread or something. <laughs> I mean, you've made significant life changes. And you've done it. And you're here. Because the Holy Spirit, like the coal from heaven, touched your life and spiritually burned an impression upon you 
that you could never, ever do anything different because you saw God. Isn't that what John says in 1 John? We write to you these commandments of what we've seen, what we've heard, what we've handled. My fear is is that some here today have never seen, they've never heard, and you've never handled. Let's pray.